I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James. Today on the podcast, I want you to do something intentional. I want you to think of the one thing that you can get out of this episode and make a change in your life. Whether it is some self-inflicted disruption, whether it is to pivot and change, whether it is to write down some new goals for your life. I don't mind what it is. I want you to take some action from this episode. Today, I'm joined by Holly Ransom. She has such a wealth of experience and knowledge, and you're really going to get so much out of this. She's talked with some of the world's biggest and best leaders, and I just want you to Google Holly Ransom. That's all you need to do. Her CV says it all. She's great. I've followed her from afar for many years as as an entrepreneur myself and really trying to, you know, lean into this thing. Anyway, I'm I'm just really pumped that we got Holly. She's got a new book called The Leading Edge. We'll put a link in the show notes. I've just bought the audio book. So I'm about to get into it. I hadn't got it at the time of recording, but I do these intros after recording. But welcome. If you're new to My Millennial Money, thanks for joining us. These episodes, we just have a chat. Like on Tuesdays, we might answer some questions. Thursday, we'll do a My Millennial story and hear about people's story. So it's a bit of a blend, this one. You're in good hands. Holly's great. And thanks for listening. I'll see you soon. Bye. Holly Ransom, welcome to My Millennial Money. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Glenn. Great to be with you. Hey, uh, you've just released a book and we're going to get to that, The Leading Edge. Uh, I want to start by just introducing you to our listeners and our audience. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your background and some of the things you like doing, some things you've done, and I guess the 101, who's Holly? (laughs) All right. Well, big question to kick off with. Well, lovely to meet all of your listeners who I haven't already met. Um, So, my background, I did a law economics degree, undergrad at university. I've actually just finished doing some further study, spent the last two years partly living in the US, partly studying online when campus got closed due to COVID, um, doing my master's in public policy. But my background sort of early in my career was working uh, in in change management um, projects and strategy in large corporates in the mining and banking sector. And then about six years ago now, I decided to go out and do my own thing, uh, started my own business, really working in the leadership development and strategy space. Um, consulting firm and alongside all of that was very fortunate to find uh, well find myself uh, fall in love with for for a better description um, a lot of uh, facilitation moderation and speaking so I've been very fortunate to um, find a whole career in that too getting to interview some of the world's um, leading minds and thinkers from you know Barack Obama through to you know Malcolm Gladwell and Sir Ken Robinson and Susan Cain and Richard Branson 
um, which has been an incredible uh, learning journey and experience too. So nowadays, uh, that, that's part of what I do for a living. I'm very fortunate to uh, have founded a number of other businesses too that are aiming to make disruptions to particular industries and conversations both here and overseas and passionate about democratising access to leadership development. So that's the heart of the book and that's the heart of a lot of the work I do inside organisations uh, and increasingly developing our own products so individuals who want to go on that journey too can can get involved. Yeah, that's really um, fascinating. Now, there's a million things I want to ask you, but <laughs> I guess for those that are listening, what I want to do is I want to chat with Holly and take her key learnings from a corporate world, from a a business world and see how we can apply them to our own individual lives. Because a lot of you out there, you're just a, you're a nine to fiver, you love your work, you go to work, you go home, that's awesome. So, but we want to make a better version of you. And we know that if we're the best version of us, we've got the best chance of being happy and ultimately making more money and finding contentment and all that in there. So, this disruption piece, I think it's just fascinating. And I wanted to ask you, Holly, do you have a favourite disruption story that you just love to talk about? And while you're thinking, I'll just keep kind of feeding it, uh, that you love to talk about, you love to go back and research, you love presenting about it, and you just find it fascinating uh, from a human point of view, whether they've been disrupted and failed or were going along and then caused their own disruption and you know spring forward to a Mark II for the company. Such an interesting question because obviously with writing the book, I've had the great fortune of, of thinking through so many different case studies, uh, both good and bad. So, you know, one when you were immediately saying, you know, failure made me jump to uh, with some research I did around the, the Segway case study, you know, which is one of the great ultimate fails of all time. When you look at, you know, the amount of money that was raised and this incredible secrecy, this this technology was developed with. And, and truly, like when you look at actually the tech behind Segway, it is absolutely cutting edge. It's quite remarkable but this complete failure to think about any of the social aspect, you know, how would this actually integrate in society? Would this work in terms of people thinking it was cool enough, so to speak, to want to actually be seen on one? And and just a catastrophic failure in terms of the total number of units sold, you know, in part because I think it's a great story of, you know, not testing with your audience early enough, right? Thinking on a really good idea, surrounding yourself with people that drink from the Kool-Aid, um, walling yourself off from the world and testing in real life circumstances and then coming out to market, da-da, and finding no one's there ready and excited to get um, what it is that you're after. So that's probably one for me uh, that's a great example of, of sort of a failure. Um, the, the flip is probably, and I've had the great fortune of meeting with and working with some phenomenal entrepreneurs over the journey. And I think I get so excited by millennial entrepreneurs who have been the change that they've wanted to see in an industry and, and two that immediately come to mind uh, in that, you know, one is Dan Flynn and the work that he and Justine and their team at Thank You have done um, building up Thank You, obviously starting as a bottled water company, really interesting to see them, you know, two years ago now sort of ending that product uh, because of its environmental footprint and the way that they've diversified and grown a really socially conscious business, I think has been remarkable. Um, the other thing, uh, the other one that immediately comes to mind is Matt Brimer. Um, so I've had the opportunity to work with Matt a couple of times. He's an incredible entrepreneur who founded General Assembly um, and really started actually in the co-working space. So it's an interesting example of thinking you're onto one thing and then actually listening to the people that you're gravitating towards or who are gravitating towards what you're about and pivoting, you know, and they realised really early that the, the actual value wasn't the space they were creating. It was the learning and the access to practitioners 
and the people who were doing the doing as opposed to what was offered in most classrooms at the time, which is technical experts who didn't have much real life, you know, know-how and capability to pull things together. So, you know, General Assembly is an incredible journey and Matt inspires me in part because he has this great mantra that I've very much taken on since he first shared it with me, which is make it first handmade. So, you know, they've become an incredible digital empire. They sold for an enormous amount of money a couple of years ago. And it's very easy to look at that sort of stuff. And I think many of us, when we come up with new ideas, one of the reasons we don't get out of the blocks is because we go, oh, I need X amount of capital. I need X amount of time. I need to quit my job entirely to be able to throw myself fully into it. Matt's philosophy is, no, don't be ridiculous. You can't make it first handmade, as in if you can't have a go at drawing it, making a prototype, having a go with a hundred bucks, then you haven't got the idea clear enough in your head. And if you can do that, then that's going to tell you whether or not there's something worth exploring in it. So that for me has become a really great mantra for how to get out of your own way and kind of lower the barrier to entry with starting new ideas. Yeah. And, you know, for those thinking like, oh, I've got this new idea, um, I've been very vocal about don't just go down to the bank and get a personal loan for your business. Oh, because please, no. <laughs> it will, you know, we talk about compound interest in returns, but if you borrow money for your startup business, you can have compounding negative returns and you, you could do your ass and be left with no customers, no business, but just with all the debt. So that's probably for another day. But hey, my favorite disruption story and w- the story of what could have been was around, and I haven't read your book and it might be in there because I'm waiting till I can commute again and fly again. So I'm going to get the audio book. But my favorite is uh, with the iPod, right? So Apple had this thing and it's just like, oh, if there was only this company that could have already done that. And you've got to think of Sony. They mm-hmm. had the hardware. They had the Discman. They had the Walkman. On the other side of the company, they had Sony Music. Oh, amazing. If only we could just join the two, but you know, they had the hardware, they had the IP, they had everything, but it was just, I guess it can go into siloing your businesses and all that stuff. But I just thought that was a fascinating story with the iPod and uh, the incumbents that were already in market. Oh, and it's a great example too, I think, of when we're so close to something, how difficult it is to reimagine how we might do something. And this, this applies to our own habits and the way that we think we, we work optimally just as much as it is down to teamwork and things like that. So, you know, there's increasingly this growing body of of research that's coming out of Harvard and Stanford that's talking about this idea called distance from the field that's actually saying they're finding extraordinary rates of problem-solving success where they're bringing people into organisations from NASA onwards who actually don't have a PhD in 30 years of experience in that technical area, but they're coming from a totally different perspective and they're saying, hey, hold on a second, why do we do it like that or how about we do it like this? And I think that importance, you know, and I encourage those, you know, out there, because I do meet a lot of people who say, yeah, but, you know, what role could I play in solving that problem or what role would I have to, to add value to that business? I think increasingly what we know is diverse opinions and perspectives and the opportunity to challenge thinking are extraordinarily valuable at this time of the world and work that we're in. So don't ever discount your opinion by virtue of the fact that you're not a technical expert because that actually might be the value that that organisation or that problem needs. Hey, we talk about disruption in the corporate world and, and all that stuff, but if we bring it right back to a personal level, you know, what are some of the signs that people may have of stagnation in their life that they might just be the frog in the pot. I always talk about the frog in the pot. You know, are there things that we can look at in our own personal lives or even you could draw to your own personal experiences um, from when you decided you wanted to 
you know, do the Ironman and all that stuff. Like, what are some of the things that we can look for for, yeah, personal stagnation and maybe we need some self-induced disruption? Yeah, and it's a good question. And, and if I can challenge the premise a little bit, I think it's both stagnation as much as it is burnout because we see both as mm. really massive phenomenons, right? You know, four out of five Australians, you know, experienced burnout in 2020 in some capacity. And so there's this piece around are the, is the way that we're working driving us into the ground or to your kind of point of the question, is it kind of going through the motions that if we really lost the fire in our belly because we're not that excited about it? And, and both are worth kind of maintaining that vigilance around, right? Because neither are healthy and neither are helpful. And I think on the the first, I, I think there's a sense on, and I, this is the way I check in with myself. In fact, um, I used to have this, speaking of Apple and, and the iPod earlier, I used to have this quote written on white in whiteboard marker on my mirror for a very long time. And it was a Steve Jobs quote. And it said, every morning when I get up, and I look in the mirror, I ask myself, do I love what I'm going to go do today? And if the answer is no for too many days in a row, I know something has to change. And for me at that time, that was that accountability metric of, and now I think it's so ingrained, I don't have to read it every day. But that notion of when you get out of bed, are you excited? When you are thinking about your week ahead, is there a sense of, oh, wow, that's going to be challenging. That's going to be interesting. That's going to be fulfilling. Whatever it is for you that lights you up, because some of us, it's challenge. Some of it's that connection we've got with colleagues. Some of it, it's the idea that we're learning. Whatever it is that you know fills your cup, I think it's that notion of have you got it in what you're doing right now? And if you don't, how do you tweak and change it? You know, that could be as simple as changing the scope of your role, putting your hand up to, to take on a new project, saying I want to shadow someone different in the workplace. It doesn't mean a wholesale change necessarily, but it does mean something's got to shift. And so I think being reflective and going, okay, what is it that's missing? And also, can you connect in with when was it last present? When do you last remember really feeling like you're thriving and you're excited? And is there something about your world that you can reflect on that you had then in your mix of hobbies and interests or work projects or whatever it might be that maybe you've got to think about how you reinsert into your world as it stands right now? And I think the flip with the burnout piece is you know, just checking in with your own vitality and health, you know, and that, and everyone knows their own risk signs or if we don't, I think we've got to start learning what they are. I, um, I definitely didn't earlier in my 20s and I kind of learned that the hard way. I hit the wall big time and I had to actually train myself to become more attuned to my signals. You know, when is it that I know that I'm thriving and working really well? Um, when is it that I know I need more sleep or I need to change up, you know, insert some more, you know, whether it's uh, mindfulness activities, whether it's actually, you know, going and doing Pilates, whatever it might be, those sorts of things. So I think becoming acutely aware of, you know, am I living in a way that's sustainable is a really important question to ask. And the thing I'll encourage listeners to think about there that's certainly been the biggest game changer for me in, in how I manage my life is learning to manage energy, not manage time. And that means we need to actually start tracking our energy instead of time. I used to be someone who saw 24 hours as a challenge for how many things could I fit into 24-hour period, which really works until it doesn't. Like at some point, the juice runs out on that theory. That is a really unsustainable way to do things. But we're not trained to tap into our own energy and then to think about this idea that we have energy cycles and that we need to match energy to activity. So what parts of our life deserve our high energy points in our day? All of us have got them. Some of us are morning people. Some of us are night owls, everything in between. But track your rhythm and then think about, okay, do I really want to give over the highest energy period of my day to my email? 
do I really want to give over the highest energy period of my day to reconciling my expenses? You know, maybe, is Glenn, you're going to tell everyone that they should. But, you know, that whole notion of, you know, we want to give that high energy piece to the stuff that's really important. It deserves it. Like the creative business development work, the planning the new project, the meeting with the people whose relationships, you know, matter most to us who are going to provide the juice for the thing we're going to do next. That sort of stuff needs to be given our high energy period of the day. And then we've got to think about what is it we're going to do to bounce out of low energy periods because all of us have to do stuff that drains us, whether it's particular colleagues we've got to interact with, whether it's just parts of the job that just suck, there's no getting around it. So what is it we're going to use as kind of a circuit breaker? What re-energizes us? I don't know what it is for you, Glenn, but for me, like it, it is definitely exercise. So I run every day because that's what puts me in the best space to be able to give everything else the energy that I deserves. So knowing what those things are for you and making sure that they are building blocks, not kind of nice, you know, nice to have if I've still got enough time at the end of the day, that's absolutely mission critical. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's so much there and I'm just thinking like I'll re-listen to this episode as Glenn the listener, not <laughs> Glenn the host because I'm kind of just trying to um, keep this on the track. But yeah, like for me, and I've said this to a lot of people before, like particularly when it comes to our money goals, our lifestyle goals, we actually need to find what works for us and not living out of somebody else's dreams, not living from a past generation. Like our parents who might be in, um, for those who are a bit older, like my age, like my parents are almost 70. It's actually hard if I said, oh, what should I do? If they said, I'll just buy a house and get a job for life. We can't apply that logic to today's economy and today's mindset. So, with all due respect, you need to sometimes tell people to shut up. I've got this. And even with the My Millennial Money podcast, like I was thinking on the weekend, even with my own money, like, yeah, I might not have all this together and all that, but I'm, I'm doing all right. And, you know, just do all right. And I was just writing this, these three things down, Holly, like, and I'm a bit of a fan of the whiteboard marker on the mirror, right? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I was trying to lose weight once and I had my whiteboard marker in the uh, mirror and I didn't do it for a long time because I was ashamed that the cleaner might see that I've got my weight ridden up. Anyway, I walked in one day after she'd been and she wrote, well done. Oh, like, I love she that. Saw the- That's epic. Oh, that gives me goosebumps. That's really cool. Yeah, it was just like, because it had taken me months to like write the, the, the numbers down and I would rub them off each, you know, fortnight. I felt that way about the quote yeah. too, to be honest. I'm like people, yeah. like, you know, that notion of self-talk, it's so countercultural in Australia. It was actually Americans that taught me it, that idea of like, you know, focus, talking to yourself in the mirror every morning. And I used to write my self-talk mm-hmm. on my mirror all the time. And, you know, uh, again, kind of getting over, who gives a rat's what other people think? This works for me. And, and there's a lot of science behind this works full stop. So why would I not be listening mm. to that? And why would I be letting what other people think get in the way of it? Totally. So I was writing, um, I wrote three things down that you could write on your mirror. You could write job, career or other. So do you actually just hate your job and the people and they're just toxic bitches and you want to get out of there? That's fine. Do you actually hate your career? Like, do you want to go and be a barista and live your best life and just live life on your terms? Like, or... Do you like both? And there's this other environmental thing. It could be uh, where you're living, your environment. You might need to see a GP if you struggle with mental health uh, because I've had reactive depression from different situations where it's like, well, no, I actually loved financial planning, but just this business joint venture was causing me reactive depression. The minute I made the phone call and said, I am out, baby, 
the depression, the reactive depression at the time just left. So I think we just first need to triage and have a bit of a, I don't know, a third person look at our own situation. Yeah. And it's interesting because when you were talking about stepping out into your own podcast, I mean, I'm sure, well, I I don't know if this is the case for you. It certainly was the case for me when I left, you know, a a very good job in corporate. You know, you have a lot of people that tell you you're crazy. Um, And Mm. that that kind of objectivity on yourself. And sometimes what I actually did when, when I made the decision to do it was I took three months and I gave myself a three months break and I said, I'm not allowed to commit to anything until I've given myself three months because it's often so hard to get that distance while you're still in things, while you're still working the job, while you're still doing this, while you're still doing that. So some people, you know, do this really effectively when they go on holiday. They sit down, they get their journal out, they kind of write to them, they get perspective because it's often very hard when we're in the day-to-day to get that appreciation. But to your point, like only you know the answers to this sort of stuff and making sure that you're making calls for you and your happiness and your fulfilment, um, that's the most important thing we can do. But it takes the strength to realise that we've, pretty well been trained uh, to, mm. to make decisions that make other people happy. And so you've got to actually yeah. step away from that need for that validation cycle in order to really get what you want. Yeah. And uh, something simple was when I, I learned um, early on, you know, as an adult, we still care what our parents think, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have them in your life still. You know, when I got my motorbike license and when I bought my motorbike, I had to tell my mum that I had done it. If I said to mum, oh, I'm thinking about getting my motor, she would hit the roof. But <laughs> it's just like when, you know, I bought a, a an investment property and I know I sound like I'm, you know, rich from having a cleaner and an investment property, but whatever. Um, you can as well if you really want. Um, I told my dad after, like I bought a property, like, oh, dad, I'm thinking because, you know, someone else's risk tolerance might not be your risk tolerance and we can be impacted. So, if we move along to like, you know, risk and managing risks. So, if someone has done that analysis that, you know, am I happy each day and all that stuff and similar to what you did, do you think like, how do we manage the risk of change Mm. in our personal life? I love what you've just said, reflecting on your parents, because it's something I, I try and impress upon people a lot of the time about mentors like I'm, I'm the biggest believer in having mentors in your life and I think it's a word we need to reclaim because it scares a lot of people um, whatever your kind of bad experience of that one time your company tried to set up a mentoring program was um, ditch it or however formal you think the idea of a mentor might be ditch it and the place I always say to people to start is just start by having learning conversations make a commitment that once a week or twice a month or once a month you're going to reach out to someone who you think you could learn from who you admire whose career you might like to emulate, who's navigated a similar challenge to the one that you're facing and tell them why you would love to spend half an hour with them, even if it's virtual, even if it's, you know, you have to wait six months to do it um, and, and start that discipline of having those learning conversations and, and get into this this rhythm of having people that you can turn to and seek advice from. You know, it does take a village uh, to raise a child. Mm. I think therefore it takes an army um, to, to raise a, you know, a young leader and a, a dynamic person and all that sort of thing. And, and we should be, I think, developing those sorts of support structures to help us not only, you know, emotionally, but also strategically in our career and thinking through the natural, you know, choice points that we're going to have in choosing one role or location or making a decision on whether to take the promotion or not or whatever it might be. So that's really helpful. And the reason I loved your comment, Glenn, about risk is one of the, the things I don't think we talk about enough with mentoring, and it's something that I got wrong before I got right, is understanding 
you've always got a choice as to whether you're bringing people into the decision or into the how. And what I mean by that is if you invite someone to have an opinion on whether or not you take the promotion or whether or not to leave your job, you can bet your bottom dollar they'll weigh in. And the thing we've got to be really mindful when those people weigh in is they're all weighing in with the best intentions, but they're not necessarily weighing in with our risk profile. So they're going to advise you based on what worked for them and what works for their risk tolerance. And, and when I was making the decision to leave and start my own business, a lot of the people in my life had never run their own business. In fact, I had a lot of leaders. I didn't have any builders. And so nobody was encouraging me to go and build, even though that was 100% what my gut was telling me to do. And I made my life more difficult for myself and I made that uh, decision more stressful by virtue of the fact that I was getting advice from people who didn't share my risk tolerance um, mm. than I would have if I'd had more builders in my life. So I encourage you to think about kind of your mentoring group and it's healthy to have a mix. Like it was actually, it was good in some ways because they really made me think through my plan because I almost had to be able to answer their questions and come up with the how I was going to do it. But I, I encourage people to think about that piece around who's in your life and what are their risk tolerances and am I inviting them into the decision or the how? So the difference being, instead of telling people, this is what I learned in time, instead of asking them, should I start my own business? I said, hey, I'm going to start my own business. Can you help me? Can you think through? Can you advise me? What do you think I should do first? And everybody was then all of a sudden pulling in the right side of the tug of war versus kind of pulling me one way or the other. Everyone was on the side in the direction that I wanted them to pull in. And it's a small tweak, but it's completely changed the game for how helpful I've found sounding boarding off other people, but also getting less stuck because it's really challenging sometimes for every decision you've got, you'll be able to find people in your world that are on either side of it. So being mindful of, do I want people to weigh into the decision or actually do I know the decision and I want them to weigh into the, how do I make it happen? Hey, I, I just wrote down before and I'm just thinking like, if you're in, a lot of us are in group messages with our family, right? And sometimes your risk tolerance, it could be that I'm too scared to actually call my family and verbally tell them what I'm thinking. And maybe it is a text. And I wrote these things down like, hey guys, I have decided I'm quitting my job after five years. I'm going to London or whatever it is next year. And I want you to write this. I don't need your permission. I just need your support. Love that. Like, and that's empowering, right? And then I was just thinking, and I'm really sorry, Holly, but I'm just loving this chat. Um, I was <laughs> no, I just love thinking, that you're like, it. <laughs> you know, with our risk tolerance in our personal life, it kind of goes back to the risk tolerance with investing. If you're new to something, like, I'm new to starting a business, I could start another business tomorrow. And, you know, if I've done some key things, like, yep, yeah, let's just give it a shake. You know, if that's all new to you, like investing, well, don't put $1,000 in straight away. Put $100 in a micro-investing app and get a feel for it. 100%. Like what if your risk profile is really low? Maybe the first step is chatting with your manager and just asking the question, hey, I just want to know what from you looking and you've managed me, what do you see, you know, that we can do around here for my career or even asking your manager or your boss, like, hey, can you just tell me the vision of the business for the next two years? And not totally. even just walking into that water. Well, finding other ways, you know, people uh, people might be wanting to flip and say, you know what, I've been in marketing all my life, but I really want to, I want to jump into the nonprofit world. And I've decided I want to be doing something that really feels anchored to, to purpose and, and corporate marketing doesn't give that to me anymore. You know, go and go and while you're still in your job and getting paid, Take a role helping out volunteering with a profit, a nonprofit organization that you know really resonate with the cause for and 
see if you like it and it gives you the fulfillment that you're looking for or take a role on an advisory board or there are so many ways of starting to dip your toes into the water in a way that kind of allows you to take a smaller round of risk and to test your thinking and to make sure that kind of what's in matches the packaging that kind of got you excited in the first place. And the more that you can de-risk that, I think the more helpful it is. It's the same way I always encourage people when they're jumping outside of their, their comfort zone. But try and do it in a way that best sets you for success. So, you know, um, mm. for example, I meet a lot of people who are who joke with me about how they find it hilarious that I love public speaking because they're terrified of it. And I talk to them about how it's really important in a lot of careers that you at least get to a comfort level of being able to speak, whether it's a room of 20 of your colleagues or whether it has to be a bigger audience than that. But if you're going to tackle that fear, don't start by debuting in front of 400 people like, and deciding, hey, I'm going to add an extra dose of spice to it and I'm going to have no notes. Like That is diabolical. That's like going to the gym cold and trying to bench press 250 kilos. Like It's not going to end well and you'll probably never try again. So we need to be kind of yeah. mindful to your point around like how do we, how do we be kind to ourselves in the way that we take risks? How do we be kind to ourselves when we're being a beginner? Because if we can be kind to ourselves, then we give ourselves a chance of starting right which means we'll build momentum, which means we'll get that little bit more confident to go that little bit bigger. And we can actually help ourselves get there faster by taking smaller steps and dosing it in kind of the right way. Yeah, because I've like personally tried to do different stuff and you, you think that you've let, you, let yourself down because you start to compare. But I think we all need to say like, hey, I haven't arrived yet, but I've left. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like I just like some type of movement. Like I'm not there yet, baby, but I've certainly left. Life's and- a game of momentum. And it's crazy too. I'm sure you found this, Glenn. Like I, I describe myself as having a strategy of like uh, burning the boats, which is the, the kind of thing that used to happen in the war. It was like you committed to kind of the action in front of you because you burnt the bo- boats on the shore. So there was absolutely no turning back. There is something mm. about jumping out as a motivational tool. You've got to know yourself well enough to know if that works for you. That definitely works for me. I'm, I move 20 times faster and harder and with greater focus when I know this is all or nothing now. Whereas for some people, that would be a diabolical strategy. It's actually better to pursue something where you've got a safety net and you're kind of taking smaller steps or hedging or whatever your strategy might be, which I guess, Glenn, would resonate really well for you with different investing profiles, right? Like you've got to know what your risk tolerance is and then you've got to build a strategy that supports that because someone who wants a lot of risk on a minimal risk strategy is going to be as unfulfilled as someone who's on a you know on on the flip of that spectrum right yeah absolutely hey we're going to take a quick break have you got five more minutes to uh, have a chat after the break yeah for sure If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Now, listener question here from uh, a listener called Glenn James and he wants to know... uh, Given you're a self-professed master questioner, were you a pain in the ass as a child? Oh, 100%. <laughs> Without a doubt. Um, absolutely. I, uh, I love spending time around kids for the volume of questions that they ask. And uh, mm. I was definitely one of, those, uh, the, one of those kids. I would have been a, a pain in the ass big time. I think it's why I'm grateful that I had a lot of adults in my life I could bug because I think if I was dependent on anyone, it, I would have snapped them pretty early. So I'm very grateful yeah. for having a lot of teachers that were generous with their time and 
you know, community sport coaches and all this sort of thing that I no doubt, you know, spread my peppering evenly. Yeah. Hey, um, the leading edge, um, and we'll put a link in the show notes uh, for those who want to jump on and buy a copy. And, you know, if you haven't bought my book, buy both of them at the same time. <laughs> um, you know, who should read that book? Well, great question. I mean, for me, it is anyone who is frustrated with the world, their world or the world, a bit of both, as it stands mm. right now and wants a better tomorrow. Um, and for me, right. the book is split into two. So the first half of the book is all about leading yourself. It's all about how do I get more fulfillment? How do I connect to purpose? How do I, to what you open with, Glenn, live my best life? Um, because until we can do that for us, we can't do that in collaboration with anyone else to create anything better outside of us. So the first half of the book is all around that. And so for some people, come seeking that. Um, there'll be stories, anecdotes, tools, everything, uh, case studies that you can use for that. The second half is for those who are then about how do we make a better world, you know, and part of the premise and the want to write the book was that we are teaching some pretty outdated stuff when it comes to the leadership books. Um, a bit like what you were talking about earlier with, you know, kind of leaning on tools of another generation for the realities of the here and now and just they're not match fit. So mm -hmm. there is a lot of strategies and case studies and a real diversity too. One of the frustrations for me when I went and did the kind of literature review of the library and this section of it, this is a real lack of diversity. Um, it's overwhelmingly kind of white male politicians and business leaders and a handful of people from Silicon Valley and there's not a real diversity, you know, across the sectors, across genders, across ages and stages of life and different pursuits. And so there's a real array of people. There's 60 case studies in the book. Um, they are incredibly diverse, like 42 different sectors. We've got equal gender split. We've got, you know, people in their 20s. We've got people in their 80s and everything in between. So I hope in that you can find both the inspiration but really pragmatic tools. Every chapter's mm. got how to start now, questions to think about in this moment, you know, resources that you can turn to because a lot of this reading, I think, in this space is very, like, big picture, esoteric, whereas you and I both know, like, the world, <laughs> the world's too busy. We don't have enough bandwidth. We need stuff that can help us and meet us right here, right now. And so for anyone who's wanting better them, better us, better world, this is the book for you. Mm. And it, it does go back to that, um, yeah, to to change the world, you've got to make sure you're strong and healthy, right? And, you know, well settled in your own personal constitution. So if we move along um, to kind of money, it is a bit of a money podcast apparently. <laughs> if, a, if one of your best friends said to you, hey, Holly, I need some money advice. Tell me what you think I should do. Like, what type of advice would you give to your best friend about money? Ooh, interesting question. I think these would be two that uh, have really been quite pivotal, I guess, to how I've navigated things up to this point and probably speak to, um, I guess, lessons that I'm grateful I learned. And I also would, actually, there's probably three things. One, I would say, um, it's taken me a lot of work to unlearn what I got taught about money. Mm. And so make sure that you're aware of what you've inherited by virtue of what you grew up with and whether that serves you. And I'm still, I think that's a journey, not a destination, but mm. that's been a big piece of work in my life to date. Um, so mm. that, that would be one, kind of learn those patterns, habits, lessons, and decide whether or not you need to unlearn some of that and who your new teachers are going to be and how you're going to find them and build relationships with them. And that can be, books on the bookshelf, that can be listening to things like this podcast, this can be 
mentors that you want to have in your life, but, but just know that. Number two would be, um, and this comes from kind of like the wisdom of Solomon, the whole piece around pay yourself first and just that discipline around, you know, getting compound interest to work for you and, you know, that whole piece around savings and making sure that you're not the one who gets whatever's left at the end of it, but you're really deliberative around putting away. And then I think the the third one for me, um, and this, this certainly has spoken to my life and it was really good advice an early mentor gave to me, um, make sure that you are investing in yourself in the ways that matter most. Um, and that for me was a reframe. So, for example, I think I sometimes can look at stuff like spending on my own well-being as being extravagant. And I have to really reframe that not as spending but as an investment because that stuff helps me to be in the right place to, to be able to sustain the work volume I'm doing, everything like that. Same as I've been really intentional, particularly in my 20s, and I encourage those listeners, you know, in their 20s and 30s who are in those like foundational years of kind of their career or pursuing their dreams to go, who am I learning from and what am I doing every quarter and every year to sit at the feet of people who can teach me and how am I making sure I'm making that investment? That's probably been one of the single most important things I've done. I've gone to the conferences. I've spent money to go on the development programs. I've you know, gone to, you know, the other side of the world if it meant getting the opportunity to learn from someone that I thought could help me improve. So I really encourage people to think about themselves as their most important investment, particularly in these like phase of their life in their 20s and 30s. And how how are you making that investment? Who are you choosing to learn from and how are you being really deliberate about it? And it doesn't have to cost money to make an investment to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it, it's just how you positioning yourself to, I don't know, be the champion of you of tomorrow today. <laughs> totally. Great way of putting it. Yeah. Like it's just, uh, it's pretty wild. Now, we've only got a couple of minutes and I want to respect your time. You know, we've covered a lot of ground really fast, right? And I guess, you know, if you want to hear more what Holly has to say, you can listen to her podcast and we'll put a link in the show notes um, or you can read her book. But is there anything important that I haven't asked you that you think you'd like to get across to our listeners, given that 80% average is female with the average age of 28, Mm -hmm. uh, with the average income of $75,000. So, that's kind of, you know, most of you listening and that's, you know, that's just the facts of our listener. So, what would you say to to those listening that you think is very important that we haven't covered? Great question. Uh, look, I hope we've kind of touched on this, but probably the thing I double down on, given you what you just described about the audience listening, is the importance of backing yourself. It kind of continues from this self-investment piece. And I write about it in the book. And the reason it's top of mind for me today is um, I've just had one of my team leave on that leave and she wrote me a note this morning that said, I've got a note written uh, in my workbook where we first started working together that says, feel the fear, but do it anyway. And she said it's become, you know, not only my mantra for working together, but it's been my, my mantra I'm now taking into life and I want to say thank you for that, um, which really warmed my heart because, you know, a lot of the study and the research that we know is, and this comes out of Harvard, and I was thinking about it again the other day, reflecting on one of the last in-person events I did before lockdown happened where I went into a school of 800 girls and I said, girls, there's this study in Harvard, five criteria for a job, how many do you think the boys believe they need to meet before they'll apply and 800 girls aged between 12 and 17 yelled in unison zero and one. It's two. And then I said, girls, how many do you think you believe we need to meet? 
um, four wheel or bike? And they yelled out five and six. And the answer is four. You know, you do the math. That means girls are putting themselves forward. Women are putting themselves forward far less often than men. Now, that is not the be all and end all of why we have inequality in society. Let's not kid ourselves. A lot of it is systemic, but that math does not add up. And so I just want to encourage those listening to be prepared to put their hand up and ask the question. Be prepared to say no. Be prepared to back themselves in and pitch ideas when they've got a good one. Be prepared to say yes when they're given the opportunity to, to stretch and to have a go at that new role or that new position. Um, whatever it is for you, identify what that thing is in your courage zone that you want to bring into your wheelhouse. Like what is it that would be really helpful to you in your aspirations, in what you want to see happen in your life? Um, whether that's, you know, learning to be a beginner at something new, whether that's having the courage to speak your mind in certain circumstances, whatever it might be. Um, I just really want to encourage you to think about that math. And, and if it helps, the thing, I think about it often. I think about the fact that if I'm going to come on podcasts like this and give advice like that, that I've got to live it. And the image that I found really helpful, um, and it's one I've got sitting above my desk, it's a parent lion in the foreground and then it's got some baby cubs in the background and the caption of the, the image reads, I thought about quitting and then I remembered who was watching. And so for me, that's women everywhere in particular. When I go, I want to make sure that 12 and 17-year-old girls in 10 years' time do not know the answer to that question in unison. So every time I think about not speaking up or not pushing or not asking for what I think I'm worth, I think about that and it holds my feet to the fire. So whatever that is for you, whether it's whether you can do that for you, whether you need to think about your why in the context of family or friends or who's coming after you, um, I really encourage you to think about that and to take the challenge of betting on yourself and backing yourself more regularly. Mm. So, so amazing. Well, thank you so much. We made it. Um, I messaged the girls in my team on Slack this morning and said, I'm really nervous about interviewing Holly. Um, oh, I'm sad to hear you were nervous. I'm sorry about that. It's all right. It's just a big deal. And, you know, you've talked to many, many big people in the world and I hope I, uh, hope I, I love did talking all right. to you. I appreciate the thoughtfulness yeah. of the questions. Well, I just wanted to really, yeah, just try and get some meat out of this for our listeners and um, yeah, you're welcome back anytime you like to have a chat about anything. So Awesome. Thank you so much, Glenn. It was so lovely to meet you and congratulations no on what you've built too. I mean, it's, it's such an important conversation and such an important set of skills and knowledge that you're trying to communicate to this demographic. So um, onward and upward, I, I couldn't be a, a bigger supporter of what you're trying to do. Awesome. Thank you so much. You can find Holly Ransom on all the usual places, Instagram, the podcast players or whatever your podcast is. Um, sorry, not your podcast, but whatever. I'm going to do that again. Ah, stuff it. We'll leave it in there. Whatever your um, podcast platform is, not whatever Holly Ransom's Leading Edge podcast. It's called Leading Edge, isn't it? Uh, the book is Leading Edge and the podcast is Coffee Pods. Coffee, oh, it is. I was looking at it last night. Yes, sorry. Um, I'm really unraveling here. We'll leave it there. Uh, Leading Edge, Coffee Pods, Instagram, all the good stuff. Uh, Thank you, Holly Ransom. Thank you so much, Glenn. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. 
Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.